0: Welcome. Episode three of Potato Chip Podcast. Okay. my mouth the with the plastic food the with the God, what a day. Today's been intense. I listed about 200 potential leads into a database, just focusing on one industry alone. Um, And sometimes you need to put in, you know, a good sort of five hours of, of just focusing on building up a certain database. You don't want to do it in your prime business hours when you should be, you know, really hustling, you should be contacting, you should be trying to get... In touch with as many people, making meetings, finding opportunities of new business as much as you possibly can. You shouldn't do it then. What you should do is use the hours from when you go home to be watching TV or stuffing around on YouTube. That time, that's when you need to kind of just cut the bullshit a little bit. You know, put it on TV in the side, whatever. But just focus on an industry that you can possibly sell to, or a customer base, and just log as much data and information about contact details and so forth, create a big spreadsheet of it, and then keep those records, you know, because whoever you might not get some business from today, uh, that stuff can come back and you could get some good business later down the track, so, you know what? It's good to just keep the focus It's good to keep it there okay. Let's just turn you right down our back. I love that song That's a good way to start a podcast too I think I'm two for two in having good tunes at the start of podcasts And uh, I don't know, I probably can't keep doing that for very long um, All rights go to whoever owns the music, which is Beck And all right rights go to the Matoid and so forth um, and I don't how much I should do that. But I'm having some music made, a starting track made. Um, <coughs> a good friend of mine, Charlie Keller, is doing that. You know, a bit of a jingle, nothing too serious. And hopefully hopefully, that'll be make the start of these a bit more unique. But uh, when you're starting your podcast, you want to pretty much start getting content out of there. The important thing isn't so much to, you know, be focusing on, how does this podcast artwork look? How do I have catchy jingles going already and so forth? No, just start putting the stuff up there because that's essentially what matters. The, the jingle and all that sort of stuff, it's not the, really the content. You know, That that's like... Um, putting a finishing sort of shine, getting out your chamois cloth and polishing your car, but really the car itself, that's the actual content. So that's what people are going to be hanging around for. You can have the best song as you possibly want at the start of your podcast, um, and it won't make a dick of difference if you're not putting some effort into the content. So uh, today I wanted to talk about money management. Uh, when, when you start earning earning money, when stuff starts coming in, how you should be uh, essentially treating that. You know, well, what should you do um, in budgeting it? In and how much do you actually have when all is said and done to spend? Um, and especially if you are a new business, you know, it's something that's worth thinking about, paying attention to. So generally speaking, there's there's a number of rules, and different people who've who've run different you know shops um, that I've talked to about it in the past. Um, you know, when I say shops, I just mean business. They've done different things, but essentially, um, the best the best motto you're going to have to end up. You know, you want to declare all your all your spendings and everything, and and you're going to have to deal with the tax department in one form or the other, and that's a really important thing to learn because. It's important to pay taxes. I know everyone has their own political opinion on that, but it's important to pay taxes in a legal sense, at the very least. You can have a philosophy or a political opinion which goes a different view. That's not what I'm addressing. That's not what we're talking about. But in a legal sense, it's important to make sure you stay on top of that because if you get caught out, then you get caught out with your pants down. That's not a lot of fun. So <clears throat> the best, the best philosophy or the best process for dealing with something like that is let's say you're bringing in so much money. I'm assuming you've done your budget that if you're hiring staff, you understand exactly how much you're paying them and that you're bringing in enough revenue that you can cover your staff and the bills. So, you know, depending on whether you run a a shop or whatever, and that's going to be retail, um, gas prices, um, you know, electricity, whatever it is, rent, um, and the staff salaries. Now, if you're left over with that, um, all said and done, let's just throw some random figures up there. Let's say after all said and done that you've paid everyone out, then you've got uh, $10,000 know, left. You don't actually have $10,000. and That's really important to remember. So don't go spending it. You know, I've made that mistake put in the past before. Uh, and I've had to just have uh, a few quiet months after that to make sure that I then have a contingency so I can pay taxes and make sure that, you know, um, the business finishes up in the black. Um, but what you actually have is half of that. Uh, what you actually have is probably a quarter of that when all said and done because then you have to think about your personal bills. And it depends on what kind of business you run. If you're running a service business, like you're a consultant, you're freelancing and so forth, then you can actually claim on, I know in Australia and I'm fairly sure in America, you can claim you know, on your taxes. I'm surprised if any country doesn't do this, your rent or a portion of your rent, you know, whatever the, the maximum amount of space in your house that you're actually using for um, business purposes. That and then as a proportion of what that represents on your rent or your mortgage, i show you do with mortgage, but you know it's worth worth investigating. Uh, obviously, your phone bills, your internet bills, your these things can be put re- uh, realistically and reasonably uh, in a, in a taxation sense. You, know, you can actually um, write a lot of that off because it is the cost of doing business, and that's how it's generally defined. You know, what is the cost of doing business? Sorry, the microphone's a bit screwy right now. Okay. So that's where you see people being able to write off stationery, airfares and all that sort of stuff. Because all that stuff comes into the facts of the cost of doing business. So the ability to write that off on tax benefits an economy essentially because it stops walls and prevents you know, barriers from people just being able to operate their business and make some money, and then that money feeds back into the economy in one way or the other. So it's beneficial for businesses to do well, uh, for an economy to build, and for businesses to have the opportunities uh, to be able to do that without being too hamstrung um, by paying taxes on, on you know, 50% of what they're bringing in, but still have all those costs and overheads which shed up all that profit and revenue. Um, You need to incentivize your workforce, in other words. But as a uh, business owner, you need to be really smart about how you're going to divvy up your money. So let's talk about people who have lots of money, for example, because there's often the consideration that, oh, if I have... And people, I think, focus far too much on, oh, I want to have lots of money, as opposed to, I want to really do this particular job or this particular task, because... I find if you have a, uh, an area or a task or a job that you really enjoy, you're going to do a much better job on it. If you're just chasing money um – it's going to be hard to maintain that focus because you're never going to, there's not going to be the guarantee that you actually enjoy what you're doing all the time because you're going to fall into the habit of, oh, this will give me some money and this will give me some extra money and I can do this and I can do that. And you can actually end up making mistakes. And like the ones I talked about in the previous podcast, where you end up leaving money on the table because you're so focused on that short-term grab or the idea of having, you know, X. Um, Revisit that podcast to get a bit of context there. But Essentially, the point is that focusing on the quality of the product and then setting a price to that product that's the value of it will ultimately, you will get more money in the macro as a result. So over a longer period of time, you will end up doing better. And that's what actually counts. Because if you bring in, I don't know, $200,000 this year and you've pissed it all away and next year you have a tax bill and nothing to show for it, you're going to feel pretty stupid. You know what's kind of funny is what actually brought me to this um, subject to to think it would actually make a good podcast is um, I was watching the – this show was filmed a while ago and it was one of the ESPN 30 for 30s and it was on athletes that have gone broke, which is is kind of – I mean, in some ways it's kind of depressing because you're watching these guys and, you know, they've – their bodies up and, and, and you know, so they've made it through the college system, probably had a couple of operations in college because we know how intense and high-quality college uh, sports are in the U.S. Of course, it's, you know, U.S.-based documentary. And um, then they get into the professional leagues. And so these guys haven't had the chance to develop skills outside of what they're doing because to get into those leagues, so much effort has to be put into... Um, you know, making sure that they can always be on top of their game, can always be the best, you know, quarterback, can always be the best running back, pitcher, whatever it is. Um, point guard, there's no real university work. There's no real benefit in their degree beyond having a degree and going to college because they spent all the time training their asses off. This was talked about actually in the Joe Rogan experience by a, um, a football player, I forget his name, but essentially this and this guy was pretty switched on. Like he actually retired from the NFL a little bit early, uh, but he's a pretty tuned-in guy. He, he was talking about going back and doing a PhD. So he's no fool. Um, but he talked about his college experience and he was at University of Tennessee. And where did he play? I think he played for the Dolphins after that. So NFL. And um, – when he was at the University of Tennessee, he said that he couldn't take the astrophysics classes that he actually wanted to do because they conflicted with his college scholarship, football training. So they're not actually there to learn at all, really. If they were, that would be an option. They're there entirely to play for that team. That is their entire purpose. You know, it might go into the why that, why I think that's fucked up. But the point is that there's no training and development of this person having a skill outside of their performance in football. So that's a huge gamble because you could get to the end of your college degree and very well not get drafted. But the interesting thing about the documentary was, and this will all bring back to managing money because the entire documentary was about these guys going broke and that's what kind of made it depressing, because so many of them have no skills outside of their their, you know, particular chosen game that they play, and they've gone into these teams and they've they've earned you know enormous sums of money to the layperson, and when they uh when they've been in there, they haven't understood how to develop money management. There's been no structural plans around them having, you know, development as uh, what happens when you leave football? What happens when you retire? And the statistics they showed were something in the midst of, you know, like seventy eight percent of NFL players are broke uh, at the, once they retire, or or and no, it was definitely up like it was definitely up at a shocking level. It was like seventy eight percent of uh, NFL and NBA players, no money, you know, a few years out of, reti- out of retirement, just no money at all, because there's been no money management during like they. You know, you had guys, the, There was some of them that were actually pretty funny. Like, I, to some of I really didn't feel sorry for them because I was like, well, that's just a really stupid, you know, purchasing decision there. Uh, one guy, for example, didn't know how to drive stick, bought a Ferrari because it was a status thing and had the thing just left in his garage. And, you know, it's a depreciating asset. So straight away, that money's pissed up against the wall. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter. But the amount of money they spent on, uh, the, the funnier things were... Um, like going to the strip club and spending $30,000. No, no. Just think about that. Think about think about if you're, like I'm engaged, you know, so I to think about a wedding ring at some stage. Um, and and well, I actually didn't buy a wedding ring. I, I, um, I passed on a family, family heirloom. I was really lucky in that regard. Um, but it's a beautiful ring and I love it. So, you know, everything's fine. But if you, most people who have to buy a wedding ring um, and they purchase one, there's like rules, like three months salary. I mean, you know, I think it's kind of all horseshit, but um, because what's the value of a diamond Um, aside from the ones that go on the diamond tip drills and they're brown diamonds and they're worth nothing. But you had guys dropping 30 grand at, at, at strip clubs. And that's how essentially their money went away. They were buying stupid shit. The, one of the first things they bought was like a house. A lot of them bought like a house for their mother um, and they would buy a house, which is obviously far too big, um, you know, like a, a 10 bedroom thing. And the, the reality is that, okay, after you spend $10 million on this mansion, then you've got a tax. And so there was all this lack of understanding about property tax, about... Um, the biggest one was this... Uh, <laughs> So they would get a million-dollar check and they would go spend a million dollars and they would not realize that they actually only had about $550,000 and $450,000 of that had to go to tax. And the only way around that in an intelligent fashion is to be, you know, investing in the business sense and then paying tax on the investment. Um, But none of the guys were thinking along because it was – a big thing was keeping up with the Joneses uh, in the influence of a lot of these guys. So a lot of the guys that are going broke aren't the really big earners, aren't the, um, the, you know, the Michael Jordans. Cause Michael Jordan, he stopped becoming a basketball player at some point along the line and he became a brand. And then it was about managing that brand and, and building it from there. And so, you know, I, there, there was like think about like the Michael Jordan, the Air Jordan line of sneakers, you know, that alone, the actual graphic of of that Jordan in in the A-frame shape. You know, he's so iconic to American sport, to world sport, really, that the brand was what held the value. So once he got to a certain level of fame for his skill, after that, it was about managing and building the brand and then marketing off that brand accordingly. And he did it very cleverly. But most of these guys don't earn that sort of money. Um, so, you know, you hear about people who are on salaries, like, you know, I don't know. When someone gets signed for a $50 million over five years with 30 million guaranteed or something, I don't know, whatever it is. Most of the guys aren't earning that money. Most of the guys are earning something like $500,000 a year. And the thing about the NFL is none of the contracts are guaranteed. Reason for that. Injuries. If you've got, if you have someone on your books and they can't play, or they've just got a torn ripped an ACL apart or something, and then they're out for whatever, the ability to drop them um, is financially. You know, it's like just dumping stock. You get rid of it, and you don't have to worry about that anymore. You can then reinvest in in fresher stock, you know, straight out of college. So they literally trade them like cattle. But you had a lot of these guys who weren't the big big money earners. They were only like five hundred grand a year, which is still fuckload of money. And these guys would be spending in the same way as the millionaires in the team. Oh, I'm just gonna pause that. All right, sorry about that. Has to take a phone call. Yes. So, coming back to it. Um so these guys would be trying to keep up with the millionaires and they would be spending in the same in the same caliber but they weren't bringing in the same money um, and it's kind of like oh well, do you think it's do you think it's just never going to end and the reality is that yeah i feel sorry cuz these guys never taught about it and if you've never been taught about it i mean huh if i was given that much money when i was 20 years old i guarantee i would have spent it on some stupid shit don't get me wrong i, I you know, this isn't, this isn't coming from some, like I was always wise in that area, but it's so, it's, you know, Captain Hindsight uh, watching it and then looking at it and thinking to myself like, oh God, it's the most basic thing to to understand. And the real tragedy is that it's not treated that way, that, that these guys don't have the access to the knowledge that there isn't someone to financially assist them. And the other the other thing that happened was a lot of guys were taken advantage of by really shifty brokers, accountants and so forth, really just preying on their vulnerability. And, you know, I felt really, really sorry for them in that regard. And then there was like a whole section on, you know, guys that have been affected by crazy girlfriends, guys that have been affected by um Uh, having a massive entourage. One guy said he had an entourage that was 40 people thick, 40 people following him around all the time. And I'm sure he's picking up bills for food and all sorts of shit. Think about that. I couldn't even think about 40 people who would follow me around. Let's just say hypothetically tomorrow I'm, I'm massively famous and I've suddenly got this urge to have people walk around with me all the time. I'm even trying to to crack into my head how many people I could possibly have around me before I looked around and said, who the fuck are you? Seriously, 40 people is enormous. Because that's like eight cars. You know, assuming everyone's squished in. Eight cars traveling around down the road because you want to go get coffee? I I don't understand. It's a silly thing to try. Obviously, it's irrational. So trying to rationalize, it's a bit pointless and a bit moronic as well. But, you know, you get the point. Um, but yeah, it comes down to the complete uh, lack of understanding with what, how much money you actually have. So that's, that's how I'm, that's how I'm bringing it full circle. Uh, so understanding that, you know, if you have a million dollars, you don't have a million dollars. So if someone gives you a check of a million dollars, you don't have that. You've got $550,000 at best. And, uh, or if it's invested, obviously you get more in a different way. But the point is that you just don't have a million dollars. And so then you think to yourself, like, okay, well, shit. So if I actually, what is my aggregate net worth then? Well, to have $250 million, you know, you've got to have $500 million. Like, it's it's the nature of the beast. And to be honest, tax levels at, at that extent, like 50% straight up for people who earn over um, over a large amount of money, that makes perfect sense to me. I'm actually all for that. Like I Look, I come from a country where you don't have to worry about healthcare to a large extent. You really don't. I, I think it's terrible that anyone has to pay for education in any form. I, I, I don't see how that in the long term actually benefits society. If, if you have... Your investment going towards education as a government, then you will breed a culture which appreciates education, and then innovation as a su- as a consequence will you know improve other sectors: uh, energy, um, defense, healthcare, um, uh, agriculture. These things will all be improved through education on an aggregate going up on a macro level. You have to think about this management and the fact that it's not, especially in Australia's government, completely blows my mind. It seems so unbelievably simple that if you just focus on funding education as well as you possibly can, all your chips on the table and push them towards that, you will get good results because that's how you operate. If you don't fund education, then you have a really uneducated, um, stifled economy that they cannot produce anything because it doesn't have the the intellectual backing and the the rigor to innovate at levels which it needs to to keep up with, you know, really advanced first world countries like Finland, you know. um, But enough of that sort of ranting process. The point is that to understand how much money you actually have, you need to just straight away chop whatever's there in half. That's if you're an earner. Um, that's for, sorry, if you've got your own operation that you're running. Um, <clears throat> and so there was a, something which then I was reminded by. So I finished watching this show. Um, I've had a bit of amusement and then I was reminded of a, uh, and this was a task that we had in geography in year eight and it makes no sense to be in geography, but the subject or sorry, the, the task that we were given, was, uh, so 15 years old or 14 years old or something, um, how much money would you have to spend to have everything you wanted? So every single thing you could possibly think of that you wanted, how much money would you have to spend, you know, or would you have to have? Um, And I remember doing this task and we just went through, you know, buying. So looking up on the internet a whole bunch of whole bunch of nonsense i was actually back in 2001 i think we would have been even looking using computers i think we were looking through magazines and stuff so we're looking basically we we end up with i think my number came to you know everything i could possibly think of and i'm 14 years old so i'm sure i could be much more creative now but i think it came to like 20 million dollars so that was after I bought the house and the cars and, and then just other nonsense bullshit. Like, I don't know, I think I was in like a Super Nintendo or, a, like, uh, you know, stuff which actually doesn't cost much money at all. Um, and I, I ran like a bit of a, a test again recently. I was sort of thinking, okay, I'm going to do that again and work out exactly for everything that I want in a material sense, how much would that actually cost me? And... The reality was that what I learnt was, and the, the reason I found it interesting was, and it's relevant how much it was. I had to double the actual amount, and then I had to double, and then no, sorry, I had to triple the initial amount, because doubling it accounted for the tax that I'd be paying in getting to the the the, the figure amount which bought everything. But then having the other um, third. Accounted for property tax, accounted for all sorts of things, health insurance. You know, the actual survival costs, the running costs of being able to maintain all that shit. Because the more stuff that you acquire, then it's going to cost you in actual maintenance of it on a day to day basis. And that's something you don't really think about. You know, you think, okay, well, uh, my house is four million dollars. I pay four million dollars and you know, I don't have to pay anything on the house ever again. Well, no, the property tax is, is possibly the worst part. Yeah, and then there's also, you know, homeowner's insurance and, and all sorts of other things. And so the bills don't actually stop. And the only way to not have those issues is if you don't buy anything to begin with. So it comes to that kind of that um, rap song, you know, it's my money, my problems. Um, and it's it's true because the more the, the more that you acquire, the more that you have to then consider of managing it. So if you think of the absolute top of management, think about what Bill Gates does, for example. What Bill Gates does is Bill Gates manages a whole bunch of people to do a whole bunch of different tasks around what he perceives to be the best direction for things to be organized in. So just to break that down again, and if you need this broken down in a really, really clear, simple way that's 100% accurate and you're going to laugh, watch Baby Boss That's a hilarious movie, but it is absolutely accurate to what senior management is, you know, in the, in the senior management, all it is doing is managing people. It's managing people, you know, to look after a to think about a brand in a certain way or to perform acts in a certain way. So, so it's all to a purpose, but people are essentially managing. It's what you're doing. You're not doing tasks anymore. Uh, after a certain level, you stop doing tasks completely. So your ability to grow your business is in many ways determined by your ability to instruct people to do tasks for you. And then that filters all the way down. So communication is obviously really important in that sense. And I think, I don't know if I talked about that in the first podcast. I have a communication podcast later down because that's a really important subject. But your ability to manage people is is is, is completely determined by your ability to communicate and then that message going all the way down. So, you know, if you are a your business to focus on a particular product that you want to innovate on or, or an area that you want to get into, then you have to communicate that to other people to do it for you. And you have to communicate them to organize things in a certain way so it can be done. And then you have to constantly communicate. And these people are constantly becoming back at you with, oh, this shit's where I'm running to this problem, we're running to this problem, you know, what should we do, what should we do? And then you have to say to them, okay, we'll do it this way, do it this way. And so you've gone down the path of wanting to be, the, you know, the boss of your own company, Sarah. But the reality is the bigger you get, it doesn't, it doesn't get any easier because you're adding more layers of shit that you have to worry about and think about all the time. This is a really, really funny concept because there is quite often the assumption that um, the more money you're going to make, uh, suddenly life will get easier because you won't have to worry about, well, yeah, sure, you don't have to worry about maybe your mortgage, you can buy a house straight off cash and maybe you, know, you can get so wealthy that you can uh, have a guy driving you around and so forth. But the little things aren't necessarily what, what you're going to be putting your attention to anyway. Because you're going to get so busy with other shit that you're not going to have to think about driving because you have to be on a laptop now while you're going to work because you've got shit to answer, emails to answer. So you have to hire a chauffeur and you have to hire someone to be able to take and screen your phone calls because you can't manage your phone anymore because there's too many calls to answer. And you have to hire someone to now train you to work out because you can't remember to train anymore and you've got to hire a chef to cook for your family. This shit would just continue to build up. And so all these people have to be paid so you have to keep working because you kept employing and the whole thing just keeps growing bigger and bigger now imagine getting to a certain size where you now have a chef at your home you've got a guy picking you up in the morning to take you to work you've got nannies that you're employing you've got gardeners because you have bought this giant house because you can um and you've got a you know multiple staff members in multiple cities uh And you've got to fly around and you've got to have meetings with the people that you've employed to manage those uh, different – Uh, offices to make sure everything's being done to schedule of what you want it to be done. Um, Maybe you've got offices overseas and you've got to fly back and forth managing those offices. And then you have a board meeting and then you have investment meetings. And you have meetings with bankers and you have meetings with this person and that person. And so the entire process becomes about maintaining that level because you've employed so many people to make sure that you can do the best job that you can, that you can't possibly earn less money because all these people are now you know, a burden, <laughs> they're a load on you and you're paying for their bills, which essentially look after their families by your ability to keep that, that machine churning. So at it, it, no point is it suddenly like, I don't have to worry about, you know, money coming in anymore because the costs are always going to be mounting and they keep mounting all the time. So think about that. You get to that stage and then you make the decision that you want to stop and you want to go back to, And how do you go back to regular life when you've had someone cooking for you for 10 years because you've been so bloody busy that you just have no time at all? Think about that for a moment. That would be absolutely insane. And so you watch these guys from the NFL and and, um, and the NBA, and they've just been spending it. They haven't even bothered with it. They've just been spending it. I wonder if they would actually have an easier time coming back down to reality than the bloke who's been running multi-million dollar organization, having people cook and drive him around all the time and is constantly on a phone, has multiple handlers and people kind of, you know, uh, assistants and and different managers of different degrees. That person going back to a simpler life, hoi, I think that would be way harder. I think that would be way harder because you would have been operating on a level – Constantly, because even if you're a professional athlete, sure, you train, but you get to switch off. But if you're operating one of those businesses, how would you ever switch off? How would Warren Buffett switch off? And think about how hard Bill Gates' life would be to a certain extent in the amount that he has to manage, in the amount that he has to consider. I mean, he must obviously thrive on it. It's something he loves about it, you know, the innovation, the being on the cutting edge of it, and his philanthropic work and so forth. But there is still so much is such a massive organization, you know, to be able to keep that button churning. You have to have almost like I uh, I don't know, like the, your position in the universe is like relevant and that sort of mindset and, and not think about things in uh, like they have too much meaning at all. That would be the best way to, to handle it. I don't know. Um, but another show, there was one more show, and we'll end on this one, um, and it was about people who'd won the lottery and they're now looking for a house. Uh, I saw this last time I was back home in Chicago and, uh, it was, oh, it, was it was just like people who won the lottery in Tennessee and the Midwest and those sort of places. And the funny thing was I was, re- I was watching the show hoping to see people who'd won like $20 million and what kind of ball and mansion they were going by. Um, but it was people who'd won like a million dollars. And yeah, it's a good amount of money. But they were going out to look at like eight hundred thousand dollar homes. And I'm watching him thinking, wait, so you've just taken in a million dollars. Did you have two hundred and fifty million dollars? So it's two hundred and fifty thousand dollars sitting, you know, aside and no, they had no idea they had to pay tax on it. And the houses they were looking at were actually kind of shit. Um, so it ended up being, you know, for, for having a, a a TV show with the tagline, you know, millionaire house hunters, or sorry, lottery lottery winning house hunters, or whatever it was called, it was really disappointing the quality of houses they were looking at. Um, and I always wondered, oh, were there episodes where someone won ten million dollars so that you can get into the real high end nonsense stuff? Um, but no, 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 it wasn't like that at all. Anyway, um, that's it for today's podcast. Money um, management—you've got half of what you think you have. This is a good is a good title for it. Um, next time, I think I will talk about communication. That'd be a good subject. Okay, see ya.